welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. The reading for today comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, reading verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet yet not one of them was healed, cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Amen. It's very clear to me at the moment that Our Lord is speaking to this church. It's very clear to me that uh, the movement of the Spirit is quite palpable amongst us and that there are things happening here uh, that we will think about and contemplate over the next few years as we come to grips with what God is doing and what God is communicating to his church. I have a word on my heart to preach at this moment and uh, something that I feel God wants us to grapple with as a church. It's a heavy, solid uh, exposition of Scripture, and uh, I commend it to you as something to think about, pray over, uh, work through with those whom are important to you in your life, uh, your small groups, your families, uh, to pray over it and see what God is saying to you. You know, no preacher gets it all right. And uh, we should never follow a preacher, we should follow Jesus. And we should always examine the preacher's word through what we read in Scripture. So today I have a question and a series of questions to ask you um, because we all 
at different points in our life have been asked really significant questions. Might have been, will you marry me? That's a pretty serious question, isn't it? Might be, will you work for me? It might be, uh, will we buy this house and take out that huge loan? There are questions in our lives that carry more weight than others. But no more so than the question Jesus poses to the listeners of that episode we heard read out to us so well from Wendy in Luke chapter 4. And so we all have a big question to answer at this moment, whether we're here in the room, whether we're online watching this live, or whether we're watching this a couple of weeks later. And finally, after lots of time talking about it, we now break into our Luke series, one that I've been preparing you for all year. And I want to call this series Jesus Through the Eyes of Luke. I don't want us to talk about Luke, I want us to talk about Jesus. And we're doing it through Luke's eyes. And so these next few weeks leading up to Easter of chosen passages from Luke where Jesus sets his focus towards his ultimate goal where he makes his intentions known very clearly to those who would listen listen to him that he is heading towards Jerusalem and he is preparing to die. I'm preaching classic Lenten preaching. And now speaking of preaching, I want to thank James for stepping in for me last week uh, when I came down with a bout of COVID, the gift that keeps on giving, eh? Uh, I did the test on Friday and straight away, um, yeah, not, not liking rats so well uh, in all sorts of senses of the word. Um, straight away I went... Well, I'm either pregnant or I've got COVID. <laughs> so I didn't think that you would love me coming too close to you uh, with COVID. So I want to thank James. For those of you who don't know, James is Director of Faith and Culture at King's Baptist Grammar School, well credentialed to speak to us and to bring to us God's word. So thank you, James, for stepping in very late on Friday afternoon uh, to stand up and speak on a Sunday morning. And so while I joined in online last week, I saw some familiar names. Um, great to, to have a little chat with you online. And also read the comments from Val and the church that is gathered at Cleve. I want to say g'day to the church at Cleve. We're glad that you have uh, connected with us in this way and that you are part of what we're doing here at Seeds. And uh, we want to say um, God's blessing upon you. And let us know in any ways we can serve you further at Cleve. So today we are taking from Luke chapter 4. And if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to open them up. If you're going to take notes, this is the one to take notes on. I'm just going to preach exp- expositionally, uh, which is I'm going to open the Scriptures up and I'm going to see what they say. There's a great danger when you do that because it says things you're not prepared to hear. And some of that is applied for this moment. So Luke chapter 4 verses 14 to 30 is what we're going to be speaking from. The book of Luke, uh, as many of you would well know, is the third book of the New Testament. One of four that describes in detail the life of Jesus. 
And uh, if I could just, just step away from my notes for a moment, what happens after that is that you've got the rest of the New Testament going, how do we make sense of what's just happened? Trying to understand in practical ways what this seismic event means for the rest of human history. Luke is quite similar to that, uh, to the style of Mark and Matthew, or Matthew and Mark, get it in order, Jonathan, whereas the book of John, the Gospel of John, is strikingly different. I encourage you to read that uh, as a comparison to what's going on in Luke. On the first uh, Sunday of this year, uh, which we did an online service, and I gave a rather dry sermon on the overview of Luke's Gospel. It was more like a Bible college lecture than a sermon, but I wanted to do it to give you a big heads up into what we'll be experiencing as we read the Gospel of Luke. And it's, it's pinned on our YouTube page, so you can grab it easily if you want to revisit that, to know what the main themes are in the book of Luke, so you can help you decode as we go through and as we read through the book of Luke. So just a reminder, it is now autumn. There's a few leaves turning colour not just because of the heat either. And I um, have been saying, let's read the book of Luke every season of the year. So we have finished with summer, we're now into autumn. So if you haven't read it, it's a good time to start reading the book of Luke or if you've read it once, it's a good time to read it twice. It's time to see what stands out. Time for us to spend some time reflecting on why it stands out. And I'm enjoying the comments that people are giving me about what they've been discovering for the first time. I'm going to give you a few more cues about how to read as we get to the end of my sermon. So, so far in Luke's Gospel, that leads us up to this reading, uh, today's reading, we have read about the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus. And we've read about the two amazing women that gave birth to and raised both John and Jesus. And then we have both these incredible songs, Mary's song and Zachariah's song, they're beautiful to read, delightful, wonderful poetry and phenomenal theology found in them. We've also read about Jesus' family line, so this, this lineage, you've got this history, don't skip over it too quick, read through it, see if you can understand some things there. And then we get his testing in the wilderness and we'll come back to some of that in due course. But today we encounter what is regarded as the key passage in Luke's Gospel where Jesus spells out his God-given mandate. He tells us his purpose. And so all of today's reading happens in Nazareth, which is Jesus' hometown. And it all starts off really good. It's all really positive and it's downhill from here. And it all sort of feels at the start like the hometown boy made good. Sort of, wow, he's come back, big banner parade and, you know, he's conquered a whole pile of things and fantastic, he's here. But then towards the end, if you listen carefully to the reading, it gets pretty ugly. Now, I'm going to take these verses in a different direction than what most preachers would, so... Uh, Hold on to your hats. Because the passage teaches us about Jesus' clarity of purpose and humanity's foggy, self-centred view. 
It shows us that Jesus knows who he is and it shows us who others want him to be. So Jesus returns to his hometown as verse 16 tells us and it was as was his habit to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, which is a Saturday. And Jewish law had it that there was a requirement for a synagogue for every 10 Jewish males in a city. A synagogue was a place of teaching, a place of community where they would gather and learn about the Torah, the law, God's ways. There was a regular routine that took place in every Sabbath, but there was no sacrifice that took place in a, in a synagogue because sacrifices were only done in the temple. This is the synagogue. And there was the, uh, a routine that was often the case that a visitor or someone special attending a service would be invited to come forward to read and to preach. And so as you heard already, Jesus opens the scroll of the book of Isaiah and he finds the place he was looking for. And so he reads from Isaiah 61 verse 1 and then Isaiah 58 verse 6. And probably in most study Bibles, you'll see a little annotation and uh, you'll see those verses there uh, noted for you to look up later. These parts of the book of Isaiah talk about the ministry of the Messiah, God's promised Saviour that would come and deliver the nation from its sins and from all the oppression that was down on top of it. In fact, they are prophetic words about the Messiah and they show the ministry that the Messiah would have to people in distress, people who are poor, people who are captives or literally prisoners of war the blind and the oppressed. And so clearly Jesus sees himself as coming with the good news for the world's troubled people. Notice he says that he is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour in verse 19. This, this does not mean a calendar year, but, a, but it is a turn of phrase referring to an era where God's salvation is made known and becomes palpable, where it, where it explodes up, comes out of, where it's evident for all to see. Now, finishing the reading, Jesus hands the scroll back and he sits down. For us, sitting down means finishing, doesn't it? You know when I sit down, thus ends the sermon. Thank goodness, some of you would say. Back then, sitting down means I am going to preach and I'm going to bring the word. So everybody, when he sits down, take that as meaning everybody looking at Jesus with expectation. Where is he going with this, they are thinking. What, what is the hometown boy going to say that will make us all proud? We've heard that he's done wonderful things and, and you can look a little bit further, a little bit back and you can see he's, the story about him, he's done wonderful things. What will we see here, they're wondering, that we can talk to our neighbours about? What's going to be the topic of our conversations for the rest of the week from the hometown boy? And Jesus just casually reaches into his jacket, pulls out a hand grenade, pulls the pin out, 
and throws it into the middle of the synagogue. He, he lets off a bomb. He, he, he could not be more evocative if he tried. You've just heard Jesus said, what you have longed for, what, what you have yearned for, for so many generations. Things that you've longed to see and you've talked about and the hope in your heart for the Messiah to come is now true in your experience at this moment. I tell you, if you were there apart from that first, (gasps) you, you would have heard a pin drop. Seismic claims from the neighbourhood kid. You know, we shouldn't, shouldn't jump too quickly over the word today because it defines the time that this is to happen because Jesus says today, this has come true in your hearing. Jesus is not talking about a future age. He's not talking about the salvific time where the eschaton is going to happen and salvation history is all going to be realised and all those other theological loaded terms. He is saying right at this moment, his actions, God's actions are true and coming to fulfilment. Now is the time God is going to do to bring about the promises of Isaiah, of freedom, of sin's power broken, of the poor being lifted up. God's favoured time is right now, Jesus says. It is right in front of you. Verse 22 shows us the reaction of the listeners at this point. Now, I'm not sure that their response is one of amazement. I don't think that's a helpful translation in in how we understand the word amazement. It is probably better translated as one of astonishment. Oh my goodness, they are saying. It's that jaw-dropping, uncomprehending stance that we see from time to time when there's something in front of us that is out of the ordinary and we see it with our eyes but we cannot perceive it with, with our intellect. How can this hometown boy speak such things? You can imagine the listeners whispering to each other. Didn't we know his dad? Of course we do. Isn't this the young fellow that helped his dad carry the door that was installed on so-and-so's house just a little while ago? Isn't this the kid that used to sit quietly in the back all those years? How can he imply all that loaded meaning that our whole history of our whole nation is relying upon is now on his shoulders? But you see, Jesus being Jesus, and you see, I... I, I don't think Jesus is as comfortable as what we make him out to be. I think in his presence, it's, it's a little bit more prickly than, than what, we, what we actually think. But Jesus continues with his sermon and as if what he has said from the book of Isaiah is not enough, he doubles down on his message. He, he wants his listeners to get exactly the point. So he, he repeats it, recasts it in another way. And, and what is a great blessing to us is that Luke records it all for us to listen and hear and reflect on it later. 
Now, now just note this, his message, Jesus' message is one of precision and definition about who he is and what he's doing. And while they were all still wondering about what is happening in front of them, he serves up this double scoop of, of clarity about God's intent for his life. Crystal clear. It is apparent that Jesus is assuming a godly role, capital G, a godly role. He's leaving no doubt as to who he is and what he wants his listeners to understand with crystal clear vision about who he is and what he is up to. And verse 23 and 24 lead us to believe that there is serious misgivings in the listeners as to what Jesus is saying. Verse 23 shows doubt to his abilities to deliver what he's talking about. Verse 24, Jesus quotes a saying that indicates they are nowhere near towards accepting his claims or him. In verses 25 and 27, the absolute clincher for the crowd because Jesus here is indicating that he's also going to minister to those outside the Jewish faith. So, so let, let me list the escalation, the, the, the way in which Jesus ramps up the, the uncomfortableness in the synagogue at that particular moment. Not only he is claiming to be the Messiah, that's a big enough claim as it is, full stop. Not only is he usurping his position as a hometown kid, he is saying God's interest in him and through him is going to be directed towards the Gentiles, the non-Jews. This is too much for the crowd. And if you listen to the reading, they seek to run Jesus off the cliff. Take him out, borders of the city, build on a hill, nice big convenient place to push your garbage off and anybody that you didn't like or um, anybody that was annoying you and they try and push Jesus off the cliff and go, we love God, but we don't love you. Go, go away. But in something of a confirmation of his words, do you get the irony there? Jesus just walks right through them. They can't, they're, they're in position. Their will is, is not worked out. Jesus, Jesus is saying and showing by his actions, actually, uh, I'm actually Lord and I can do what I want. Thank you very much. Ironically, they didn't realise in, in seeing, hang on a minute, he's just walked right through us. They didn't realise that, that what he was saying was true and that instead of letting him go, they should have engaged him in conversation. Explain this to us, Jesus. Help us understand. Now, the point of all this is quite clear and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend the rest of my sermon drilling down on this and I've, and I've only really got one point. And I, and I have to warn you, it's a solid point. And its application is, is of substance. And to use Rod Dyson's word, it's gritty. And I encourage you to, to pray on it and contemplate and, and speak in your small groups and your families about this. Because it all centres on who we think Jesus is. So let me ask you, who do you think Jesus is? Let me make a bold statement. This is the most... This is the most important question you'll ever be asked. And it's the most important question you'll ever answer in this life and the next. 
The implications of that question are real and they start right here. Are we letting Jesus speak for himself or are we moulding him into what we want him to be in our image, in our little God, in our little controllable pet? And don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. For those of you who've who've walked with Jesus for a long time, don't be fooled. This is not a one-off question. This is a question that we must answer over and over again as, as Jesus graciously reveals more of himself to us and we understand more of his mercy and his grace in our life and as he applies his light to our life, there's parts of our life that need to come into line over and over again with the Lordship of Christ. There's a question that we have to answer all the time. And as we grow in our understanding of Jesus and his will for our lives, it means constant surrender into the aspects of who we are, all aspects of who we are. He is constantly showing new parts of himself. And that means a constant reevaluation of our lives in light of who we understand Jesus to be day by day. You see, we are like the crowd in Nazareth. And, and by the way, this is... This is This is hauntingly powerful, this passage, because um, after Jesus walked through that crowd in verse 30 and went on his way, we have no other recordings of Jesus ever going back to Nazareth. We are like the crowd because we all want Jesus to be the God we need, the God we can control. You know, we, we want the hometown boy not the saviour of the world. It's like, we want, it's like we want Jesus to be the Clark Kent, the Superman of the saviour world. You know, He's there when we need him. Help, help, I'm in trouble. But when it's all going well, no, no, just, just get back in your uniform, put the glasses on and don't bother us. Or do we want Jesus who agrees with all we say and all we do and all we support? See, this last one, the Jesus who agrees with all we do and all we say and all we support is rapidly becoming the Jesus of the church. And our church does this in all sorts of ways. And when I use the word church, I mean broader Australian church, the context I want to speak into. You know, I'm hesitant to say this and I've thought long and hard about saying this. But in light of all the the hedonism that I saw a few days ago, my conscience compels me to speak. You see, certain... You see, I see certain churches supporting the Mardi Gras in the name of Jesus and I am stunned. Actually, it's... You know, I am... Deeply saddened. In that context of their support, I see Jesus being portrayed as if he stands for nothing. As if he has no morals, as if he doesn't care what we do or how we dress or what values we express. I see a Jesus who doesn't seem to be able to say no. Now, I fully agree that Jesus loves everybody, 100%, absolutely. I'll go to my grave saying that, but he doesn't love everything. And while I'm in deep and probably getting myself in hot water, because this is recorded, of course, 
I want to question, the first time I've ever done this, I want to question the actions of our Prime Minister. Apparently no one complained about his attendance at the Mardi Gras, possibly because anyone who does that gets vilified by the media. Celebration of debauchery seems to know no end. And I have to say something about it. And I'm probably going to be called a bigot. But you know my heart. Let me go on. I see us trying to control Jesus in the many models of leadership that we support. Leaders who just want to lead and not serve. Let me tell you that leadership here is all about service. You know that Jesus brought freedom from the prisoners, recovery from sight of blind to all those other things. Why? How did he do that? Because he gave the ultimate sacrifice. And I hope you see in me that I model the servant leadership as I follow Jesus. I see us trying to control Jesus in how we pray, how we give, how we serve. We do it with an agenda rather than a response to who Jesus is. The fact, let me, let me just, let's make this really apparent to Aberfoyle Park. The fact that I have to keep reminding you to tithe means that we all respond, we all struggle with responding to Jesus as opposed to worshipping our finances. You know, I'm probably making this a little bit heavy. So let me just back off there a little bit. You see, Jesus is not asking us to prove his character or his actions or his worth. He's asking us if we are going to take him at face value and live our lives in light of that. Not the value we want to oppose on him. The Clark Kent Jesus that disappears and comes back when we just need him. You know, when we read the Gospels, you know, praise God, sometimes they comfort us. And we go there because we need comfort and we need to know a word from Lord and, and we get that comfort. Sometimes they inform us and they should, they inform our actions. And sometimes, probably more often than what we think, they should challenge us. They should challenge our presuppositions, our comfort, our lifestyle, our values. They should challenge our morality. They should cha- challenge what we do with our money and our resources. But we naturally fall back into self-indulgence, self-preservation. And Jesus is calling us out of that towards the road of following him. There is no Christ without the cross. There is no Jesus that does not suffer. There is no faith that does not cost. Because Jesus asks us that same question as those first listeners. Who is he? And what are we going to do about it? Someone whom we construct or is he able to tell us for himself? I put it to you again. This is the most important question that you will ever answer. The listeners that day in that synagogue allowed their bias to cloud their views of what Jesus was saying. They put him in a pigeonhole and they closed the door. They closed the door to the new thing that God was doing right in front of them and they let him walk right out of their life. And here's the thing, God is doing a new thing amongst us. Like open your eyes and perceive it, what God is doing amongst us at this particular moment. 
God's Spirit is communicating to us even now. But have we put Jesus in a box, a framework that we personally shut the door on and we walk away? Have we taken the bits of Jesus that we like, the good bits that we like, the bits that are comfortable, the bits that are easy, and then we just disregard the rest? The difficult parts, the hard sayings. You know, I can, I can say this. The only reason I can, I can stand here and say this at this moment, I can say it with integrity because I know myself so well. Because we all want a Jesus who fulfills our desires and makes us comfortable. We want a Jesus that we can control, not one that has an agenda for us, a, a, a life, a calling, a cross to us to walk towards. We want a Jesus that fits with our ideology, our ideals, our political agendas. We want him on a string. And this passage in the book of Luke tells us that this is not the Jesus of the Bible. I'm not sure this is what you wanted to hear today. But that's the risk of preaching the Bible, isn't it? Because it speaks for itself and it tells us what God wants us to hear. So let me drill right down on this and and let me wind this up because I've gone on long enough. You see, we make Jesus in our own image when we expect him to provide for us in ways that fulfills our definition of happy. Jesus got a definition of happy and he wants us to be happy. His definition and our definition uh, don't often appear on the same page. Our definition of happy is good health, high paying job, no stress, holidays, great holidays, a partner. The list is endless. You know, in the next little while, we're all going to read the book of Luke again. Do you notice how inclusive I was with that? We're all going to read the book of Luke or listen to the book of Luke again, okay? I'm busy and I can do it on top of everything else. You can do it as well, okay? We can all do this, all right? You'll nod your head. Yes, we can all do this. Wonderful. Can I ask you to do one thing? A, a really, it's actually a really dangerous thing on top of that. Is to pray a dangerous prayer. The prayer is, Jesus, speak to me what you want me to hear. That's a really dangerous prayer. Jesus, speak to me what you want me to hear. Jesus, tell me over and over again until I get it. Let's read and let's let's listen to his voice. A voice that goes beyond our own thoughts, beyond our own desires, that goes above that which we hope for, but gives us what we need. So here you go. Grab a piece of paper, a pad, a notebook. You can do it anywhere. You can do it on the train. You probably can't do it while you're driving, but you can think about it and then write down a little bit later. Okay. Write down the passage that you have read and then write down your reflections and thoughts that come to your mind after you have read. Do that for a week, seven days, and see what Jesus says. You know, when we make Jesus into who we want, do you know what we do? We simply look into the mirror. But you know, when we allow Jesus to speak for himself, 
Do you know what happens? We look into the face of God. I don't always like looking into the mirror. But I love looking into the face of God. When we recognise who He is and when we allow Him to speak, it's glorious, it's life-giving, it's wonderful. Listen to this. We become chosen and royal and holy. We become God's special possessions and we move ourselves because of the power of God working in our life. We move ourselves out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Who doesn't want that? It's heavy. It's heavy because we know the cost that is at stake. And it's life-giving and joyful and wonderful and praise God because we know the cost that is at stake. It is worth all that we own and all who we are because Jesus is so much more. Let me lead you in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you, you do not beat around the bush. You call to us and, you, and you, you enable us to hear so much more than we hear by ourselves. And so I pray for my church, my friends here in, in this, your church, Lord Jesus, would, would you speak to them in this next seven days, speak to them facets of who you are, that they might know you clearly and they might see a newness of you, a new part of you they have never seen before and that would bring surrender in their lives, allow them to walk more into your grace and understand more of your purpose for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for my friends here. Pray for your word, Lord, that it would go deep in them. That understand your call upon their life. Not for lukewarm faith, but for red hot faith, Jesus. Lord, your way is the best way. Your plans are the best plans. Your purpose, Lord, show your church. Show the individuals of this church this week. Those who are here, those who are scattered. Lord, may we hear your word. May we be fed only from your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace, my friends, to love and to serve our great God. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.